What's an M. Night? M. Night Shyamalan, the Indian filmmaker from Philly. Oh my God, this dude's a big deal. He always you know puts some I mean? like awesome twist at the end of his movies to trick the audience. Oh yeah, yeah, like like in The Sixth Sense, you find out that the dude um, in that hairpiece the whole time, that's Bruce Willis the whole movie. That's not the twist. That's not the twist of that movie. That wasn't the twist. No. Welcome to the M. Night Shift, the podcast where we review and discuss the career of filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan. I'm one of your co-hosts, A.J. Gonzalez. And I'm Brian Connolly, the other host, yep. co-host. And if you've made it this far, thank you so much. This is our... <laughs> we did it! Yeah, this is our sort of final episode. I think he's going to keep making movies, so we'll come back in like a year, year and a half. Every every time he makes a new movie, it'll be like a reunion. It'll be like those Michael Apted up films where we'll check in and we've all gotten older and more wiser every time we meet to, throughout the career yeah. and Night Shyamalan until his inevitable death or our inevitable death, whichever is first. I think he'll die first. He's older. It happens to everybody. <laughs> uh, we're not becoming defunct. No. We're uh, just just uh, we'll just be going dormant after this for a while. In a way, it's like we're Larry David during doing Kirby enthusiasm. We're just like you know we'll come back when we feel like it, and when he feels like when M Night feels like making another movie, then we'll have another episode. It just means you have to constantly check the internet for the rest of your life to to know whether there'll be an episode. That's or such not. a sweet deal he has with HBO. <laughs> yeah, apparently um, Christopher Guest has the same deal. Like he did Family Tree. Yeah. And then people were asking if there was going to be a season two, but his contract was he can do one more thing for HBO whenever he wants. He hasn't done it yet. And he hasn't done it yet. It must be nice to do that. To be in that position of power to just be allowed to do whatever you want. All right. So let's start off with the scotch of the final of the this episode. So what what is the scotch? This is very good. This, this is one of the better ones we've had. This is Johnny Walker. Now, we've had Johnny Walker red before, but this is a very special Johnny Walker, not Johnny Walker blue. We, all right, we never got that Squarespace sponsorship money. So, <laughs> But this is Johnny Walker Blender's Batch. It says, introducing Blender's Batch, limited edition experiments from Johnny Walker. And this is uh, three... Triple grain whiskeys, two iconic malts, triple grain American oak, blended scotch whiskey. Here we go, blender's notes. Three grain whiskeys using wheat, barley, and corn, blended with select malts, sweet and creamy with fresh fruits and gentle spicy smoke, aged 10 years in American oak casks. That's why it kind of tastes like bourbon to me, I guess. The oak casks? Yeah. Yes. This is Johnny Walker Blender's Batch number three. So they Ooh, have la, a, la. they had a few other concoctions like this. One it was uh, blended with wine, Ooh. which I was not really into. Did you try it? No. That, that no, might no. be. I'd be interested in trying that to see what the heck that tastes like. Uh, enjoy this irresistibly mellow Scotch whiskey, a blend of three grain whiskeys. From storied distilleries, including the now-closed Fort Dundas and select iconic malts, including uh, Mortlatch and Gardhoo. 
Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you can really taste the mort latch. <laughs> it's uh yeah, that is a good kind of strong. It is good. So is this a top shelf scotch? It's mid mid middle mid, shelf. Yeah, it's middle <laughs> shelf. It did not come. Yeah. It did not come in a box. Uh, it did come with like this cool tag thing hanging from it, from a little band. Yeah, the the label yeah. is white. Yeah, because with Johnny Walker, the color of label is very important. Is that true? Yeah, like red is your standard one. Gotcha. Your one that's like twenty bucks. Johnny Walker black is like a step up from that. That one's like thirty bucks, and then Johnny Walker blue is like. You're spending like close to a hundred dollars on that's that. what Bill Gates drinks. That's the yeah. scotch he drinks for his M Night podcast. <laughs> in um in Wall Street's two, Wall Street Harder, <laughs> uh Shia LaBeouf gives some Japanese businessmen a gift of Johnny Walker Blue oh. presented in a special box that I'm sure Johnny Walker paid handsomely for. And I'm sure Oliver Stone has took that home at the end of the day and was yep. like score. I'll do this. I'll do some acid. I'll drink some of the scotch. I'll write. I'll write savages. Oh wait, savages was before. No, it was after. Yeah, it was after. It was after. Yeah, that movie sucks. Never even cared to see it. I got about thirty minutes in. It was like, I, nope. I gave up on Oliver Stone a long time ago. Actually, uh, I think me you. Too. I think any given Sunday was the last real good one, and then everything after that pales in comparison. I thought World Trade Center was good, but it was so. Um straightforward in its style that it could have been made by anybody mm -hmm. so that's what savages felt like yeah the last real good oliver stone movie i i've grown to like any given sunday the movie's so good and it's a movie that's so long that the credits start while the movie's still ending they're like it was already 160 yeah. something minutes yeah <laughs> all right so we're not doing oliver stone films this episode we are doing split which I believe there was a podcast a while ago where we talked about how we were going to go see that in the theater because I believe we saw that while we once we started the podcast. Yeah, it was like we three months in. Yeah, but we didn't we didn't want to talk about it too much because we knew we were going to wait and save it for now. So we saved it, yes, for a year. But we watched it again just to make sure we had it in our minds freshly. Um, so let, let, did you watch the Blu-ray of it? I did. Yes. So there's a lot of trailers. On the Blu-ray, oh like my a God, heck of a lot, an endless amount. Uh, that's why you have the Blu-ray to have that extra storage for like forty trailers. Uh, the trailers were the terrible Tom Cruise film, The Mummy, which isn't that bad. No, that movie's bad. That movie's it's, really it's bad. It's not that bad. It's it's that, it's all right. That movie is the first Tom Cruise movie I've seen in a while where I was like, I don't like this movie. I don't like this Tom Cruise movie because usually I'll be won over by his charm and whatever movie he's in, I'll enjoy. Uh, but the mummy, I enjoyed none of that, and he does the the movie. The, it doesn't really allow him to use his like movie star charm. Too much CGI and like Tom much... Cruise needs to be actually hanging off of like buildings and like. What's great about the Mission Impossible movies is yeah, there's CGI in there, but then there's room for him to like hang off of an airplane while it takes off and what have you. Yeah, it's. Um, but this one was all like not a lot of stunts. Just yeah, of... I, I stress it's it's not as bad as everyone's been making it out to be, but it is still not good it's it's all right then you had a trailer for the bye-bye man which was sort <laughs> of like i guess that was them trying to do like a slender man sort of thing or yeah. what, like what's going on with did you ever what, see the bye-bye man never saw it i can't think of it without laughing 
because the title is so <laughs> stupid. You're not scared by the bye-bye man. <laughs> <laughs> a three-year-old uh, named that movie. <laughs> I uh, I saw some someone posted on Facebook a uh, doctored movie poster of uh, the bye-bye man, but they had changed the title to Pee Pee Poo Poo, which uh, you know is about on the same level. <laughs> then there's a trailer for an even less new movie called Mind Gamer. Oh, I totally missed that because I was so caught up in what that weird movie was. I like didn't write down what, what, what the Mind Gamer. Oh, Mind yeah. Gamer. That movie looks good. Yeah, it has um, Sam Neill yeah. in it, uh, cashing a check and being some weird scientist. Mm-hmm. What was it? It was like almost like gamer. Yeah, it is. It, that looks good. And then there's a trailer for somebody called Incarnate. Yeah, with uh, Harvey Harvey Dent. What's his name? Aaron Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, that guy's. He must be a difficult person. I feel like he's been demoted in the Hollywood world. Yeah, he's. Or like he was one. Like he was in a, a gosh darn Batman movie, and then all of a sudden you're just like, what is this movie? What is this? Wait, what's this one? Wait, this guy keeps showing up in these like PG. Vaguely Christian, like baseball movies and stuff like that, where you're just like, why, why is he doing all these things? What happened to him? And this one, he's like, he's gonna cure exorcisms, but with science. <laughs> Wait a minute, get your science out of my exorcism <laughs> movies. And then, of course, there was the Great Wall trailer, which I didn't know had ghosts in it. The the <laughs> uh, the because the, the billboards and the ads for that was just like it looked. I thought it was like a Last Samurai sort of thing. Where it was just like Matt Damon with like a ponytail, just being like holding the sword, and you're like, okay, that movie's gonna suck. No, it's and then it's like, like, no wait, dragons. there's like ghosts and monsters, and it's and it's and it's directed by um, uh, how do you say his name? Uh, I don't want to say it wrong. We have a sec- section for the book. Zhang Yimou. Yeah, Zhang Yimou is how I always said it in my head, but uh, yeah, he uh, made that movie, and and I, I, I think. It's a very expensive movie, and I feel it has a lot of Chinese money in it. And man, that movie was a failure. That was a huge critical and commercial failure, uh, The Great Wall. But it look, I didn't know it had monsters in it, so now I kind of want to watch it. I want to see Matt Damon uh, on, a, on The Great Wall of China fighting <laughs> CG ghosts and dragons and all sorts of things. And that was then that leads you to the menu screen of Split after you sit through all those trailers. Whose turn is it to describe the plot split? Is it your turn? Uh, yeah. Because I did the trip or the visit. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's yeah. my turn to describe split. Not as easy to describe as the visit, which was a fairly straightforward no, movie. I'm kind of intimidated by this, but uh, let me take a sip of this uh, blender's oh. batch. We also uh, tonight enjoyed some great cake from the Deutsche Kuche, I think is what it's called. It was a marble pound cake or do you, we use that to absorb some of the scotch yes is it working is it absorbing it i ate about four pieces so i feel i like... also ate four pieces good. yeah i feel so I feel we, together we've eaten half the cake that's yes. good <laughs> all right all right so split, do it split starts out straightforward cold open with this lone dark-haired girl at uh who's been invited sort of out of pity to another girl's birthday party and no one has shown up to pick her up. So one of the girl whose party it is, her dad's like, I'll take y'all home. And they're in the parking lot. And then in the background, there's some like kind of struggle 
going on, but the kids, they don't see this or pay attention to it. And then James McAvoy, wearing glasses, gets into the car. He's looking real mean, real menacing. <laughs> and the girls are more, the dark-haired girl, Casey, she's like, like she kind of knows what's going on, but still doesn't move. And the other two girls, they're more confused. They're like, um, sir, you have the wrong car. <laughs> and then he puts on a mask and sprays them with this thing that knocks them out. Yeah. Bam. Split. <laughs> so uh, the girls wake up in, you know, a dark dungeony type room. You know, he gives them like rules and instructions. The dark haired girl, Casey, played by Anya Taylor-Joy of... Vivich fame for the witch. Is it actually called Vivich? No, yes, it's, that's what it looks like on the box. It's and called. It always throws me. It's called the witch. They just tried to do the old timey font thing because mm-hmm. I guess printers didn't have W's back then, so did they just used two V's or something. So we should always call the movie the Vivich. Yeah. Then was well, the way printers back in the day they didn't have enough uh, S's, so they would use F's instead. So if you're reading an old-timey document, there will just be Fs where there should be Ss. So the word as would be printed as F. <laughs> sure. Because they didn't care Just make more then. Ss, guys. Just I, figure it out. <laughs> I, I, don't get the, uh, I don't get the 18th century. <laughs> anyway, so the girls are trying to find a way out, of course. Then they hear another voice like the voice of a british woman and they scream for you know help that they're trapped and a door opens and the camera shows us a dress pans up but it's mcavoy wait a minute <laughs> and this uh person is called patricia and she's very <clears throat> like strict and proper as british women by are by the book yeah and the personality that took them, I think, is called Dennis. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, here's where, if you didn't already know by the title, you realize this guy has multiple personality disorder, or as it's referred to now, dissociative identity disorder, DID. Which is what they say in the movie, correct? Yeah. Yes. That is the new proper medical term for it. He also has a personality of a little boy called Hedwig. My favorite of the personalities. Yeah, me too. <laughs> See, one of the girls tries to escape through the roof. Like, the, they find a soft spot in the drywall through the roof. She climbs through the uh, AC ducts, tries to get away, but gets caught and then gets segregated into another dark chamber. Casey, she tries to befriend Hedwig. Hedwig mentions having a window so she gets Casey, uh, Casey gets him to take her to his window, his room, where my favorite scene in the movie happens. Mine too. That's my favorite scene too. Where Hedwig says he likes dancing. He likes dancing to Kanye and he has a CD player by his window. So he puts on some music and McAvoy as, you know, 10 year old Hedwig, however old he's supposed to be, starts dancing. And it is both funny and very creepy and strange <laughs> and hypnotizing. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah. The, that seems, we'll talk more about that after you're done. <laughs> so while the girls are in captivity, being told that uh, they're sacred food and they're being prepared for the beast 
who's coming. And there's kind of vague talk about the philosophy of the beast and how great things will be when he gets here. Uh, we get to see on the outside James McAvoy's psychiatrist, played by Betty Buckley from Carrie. Carrie, yes. Yeah. Also, The Happening. Oh, yeah, the one with the lemon drink or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's a therapist. Oh, and uh, McAvoy's character is named Kevin Wendell Crumb. But the personality that's supposed to be in charge is Barry. So she's talking to Barry, but then she starts to suspect that she's not really talking to Barry. She's talking to one of the other personalities. Maybe one of the bad ones that's not allowed to come into the light, which is what they say for when one alter takes over and there's 23 distinct personalities though we only meet about eight of them which is very disappointing i know they should have gone he should have gone full eddie murphy in this yeah. movie. but uh, most of them are good but there's a group of bad ones and they are the ones that believe in the beast and we find out what that means later but she's piecing it together Something's up, something's not right. She keeps getting emails in the middle of the night saying, like, we need your help. And she gives a lecture basically just explaining to the audience what dissociative identity disorder means and the effects it can have on people. So one personality will be diabetic and actually have insulin problems and need insulin shots. And another personality doesn't. And that that personality doesn't need insulin shots then or one personality is blind another one can see and there are cases like that like that's the that's the uh research you know that Shyamalan did that he then extrapolated on to horror movie levels then she finally pieces together something's like not right here I've got to go to where he to where he lives see what's going on and so she catches kevin not kevin dennis on his way out and gets uh, him to take her inside to the dark dungeony place where he lives he makes uh does he make her a sandwich yeah makes her a sandwich <clears throat> she knows like something bad's gonna happen she like tucks a handkerchief into the uh, latch of a door where the the bolt slides into. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, well, then he kills her. <laughs> Spoiler! <laughs> he gives her more, she gives more exposition, but by now he's ready to be the beast and he kills her. He like crushes her to death. With which, his beast powers. With his beast powers. So yeah, he's ready to become the beast and he doesn't really physically get bigger, but he just act. He seemed he looks like stronger. Yeah, more veiny, more veins popping out. Yeah, a lot more veiny, and he has the different, like just different uh, traits from animals. So he can like crawl up walls. He has super strong skin, like a rhino. He can rip people's flesh from the bone. Yeah, and. See, at this point, uh, the two other girls were separated. They were each put in, like, storage lockers next to each other. And one has, uh, she found a hanger 
and she's got it out through a crack in the door and she's trying to move the the bolts away from the door and the other girl's encouraging her. Casey is trapped in a room with the computer with that all the personalities share and she's watching video files on all the different personalities and there's a folder for each one. There's one called Mr. Pritchard that we don't meet. That was very I want to see what he, what he's all about. Who's Mr. Pritchard? Yeah, yeah what, he what doesn't even one? have a first name. Mr. Pritchard. Yeah. And she finally gets out of there, only to find that the two other girls have been attacked and torn apart like, like an animal got to them. And then she sees one, and McAvoy is there, and he pulls her out of frame the way like someone gets dragged by an animal in a horror movie. Yeah. And it starts to eat at her. Casey runs away, and she's able to talk him down, because before she, the psychiatrist died, she wrote down like the secret code to bring back the original personality. You have to say his full name. Kevin Wendell Crumb. And so she shouts that at him, and he comes back and says, there's a shotgun under my bed or somewhere, and the shells are there. You have to kill me. And then another personality shows up and says, no, no, he's... Don't listen to him. (laughs) And then another one shows up that is in the middle of giving some sort of history lecture, which sounds creepy, just like coming out of James McAvoy at random. She goes, she gets the gun. McAvoy turns back into the beast. She's being hunted. She shoots him, and it has no real effect. Like, it knocks him down, but then he gets back up. And she shoots him flat in the chest. and doesn't stop him. And she's locked herself in this cage. And he grabs the bars and bends them open. And he's gritting his teeth, and he looks all, like, sweaty and bloody. In all this, of course, since it's a horror movie and she's a girl, her clothes have become, like, torn and ripped off. And then he sees how her stomach and her arms are all scarred up. Yeah. And then he stops and realizes that uh, that she is like one of the special ones like him. One of the ones that has suffered like him. So he like he feels a connection with her and doesn't kill her, basically. He just, you know, he goes off into the night. The cops show up eventually because they have they are actually in the basement of the zoo ah the zoo's basement i suspected that's where they were (laughs) they're in the zoo's (laughs) basement the cops get called and casey's in the back of a cop car and one of the cops is like oh don't worry we called your uncle who in flashbacks we see has been like molesting her since she was a girl and she just kind of stares at the camera. And then it cuts to McAvoy, who's going through the British woman personality, Patricia, Dennis, all the bad ones, who are called the Horde. And he's like talking about how uh, we don't represent a mistake by our potential. And then the movie ends for a second. But wait a second. There's a more... There's more. Then it comes back, and the score is radically different. Cameras gliding along the counter at a diner where a news broadcast is on, explaining what's happened and how uh, this guy suffers from dissociative identity identity disorder, and you know there's crazy reports of him behaving like an animal, and 
because he shows the traits of so many different animals, he's being called the Horde. And someone at the counter says, like, oh, this is so crazy. Just like uh, that guy in that wheelchair, like, 15 years ago, they gave him a crazy name, too. What was it? At the very end of the counter is Mr. Bruce Willis. (laughs) And he says, Mr. Glass. And he's wearing a uniform with his name from Unbreakable, in case you remembered that his name is David Dunn. It says right there, David Dunn. So there's no question at all. Backdoor sequel to Unbreakable. Unbreakable. Boom. Boom. The end of Split. (laughs) Well, I have a few questions, and maybe you can answer this. How old are these girls supposed to be? Like, are they a... high school? Or are they college? I don't understand. They're all played by women in their early twenties. Yeah, they're like they're all like twenty one, twenty two. They're actresses, which usually by movie standards means they're playing high school because usually you go back like five or eight years. But it's never. But it's, they talk about like it's their art class, right? They all met in yeah. some art class. It is never it is never explicitly stated, and that's the first note I wrote down. But their dad is still having to drive them around and pick them up, and so they still can't. Have, and they be have old a birth- to drive, and they or maybe they still want to drive. And then they have a birthday party where they still have to invite everybody in their class, which to me is like you only do that in grade school. Which clearly these ladies aren't supposed to be in grade school, but like in high school, you have to invite every person in whatever class. Like nobody cares. Like it's like you're not gonna no, hurt looks- anyone's feelings. Like. Had you, seven different classes with 30 kids and in And definitely in not in college, so I don't really understand how old they are supposed to be. But the actresses are in their 20s. But they never say high school, college. But it is weird that like their nerdy dad is like, oh, I'm going to take you all home. And like, they all have to get picked up, like all three of them. But they're definitely got to be older than 16, so you have three girls that can't drive. I don't know, maybe it's like big city life where you just don't feel the need to get a driver's license. You just need a dad to drive you around. So that's weird. Uh, <laughs> and um, let's see. The other question I had is uh, uh, oh, at the very end, so then go all the way to the end. Do you really think that anyone, the thing they'd remember about that whole Unbreakable plot was that the guy had a weird name like 18 years ago. Like That seems like a weird thing to be like you're watching TV and he's like, that person had a weird name. Like that guy 18 years ago also had that weird name. It was like, really, no one's had some weird nickname since then? And or also, why is that what you took away from that story and like so much tragedy has happened in the world since Unbreakable that you wouldn't just remember like, oh, that one guy who like, did the few things like you'd be like why would that be in your head well and the as a, um, as a question that you would ask if you remembered that much already and this the supernatural element in unbreakable is not made public so there i don't know how the two things are related of uh oh this uh handicapped guy was actually a terrorist blowing up trains and planes and causing setting fires causing math mass deaths yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. That's on the same level as a serial killer. <laughs> as a serial killer who exhibits superhuman strength and has a crazy nickname <laughs> that he gave himself. Like he called 
Well, he called himself the Beast, but then he also is called the Horde. Like, it, he, he applies both names. So I don't know how the press got hold of that name. And then I can't... I would not connect the dots between those two things. If you were like a lady at a diner, you know, in 2017, watching TV. Yeah. And uh, that <laughs> ending, it's a bit... It's really on the nose. Like, it... It's as on the nose as your nose. It's the nose. And, and it's so, just it's just like, okay, I guess there's gonna be another movie where this hat where these meet and then there is. That's gonna be the next M Night movie next year. It's yep. called Glass, where it'll be the three of them, uh Brisbane, Samuel Jackson, and James McAvoy all together in a world. Because I feel like this is probably M Night's like this is my Marvel universe. This is like my turn to yeah. have my expanded you know, universe of uh, of characters like doing stuff in this world. Um, I mean, I, it's kind of cool. I like the idea of a of a backdoor sequel. Mm-hmm. Other great backdoor sequels, Collateral, is actually considered a transporter film. Like that, because you have Jason Statham at the very beginning of the movie, and he's sort of there, and you don't really know what he's up to. And I read an interview with Michael Mann where he's like, yeah, it's, it's a transporter. Like, I was a big fan of those movies. I thought, let's put that guy in. Like, yeah, he's a transporter, sure. So that collateral, unofficial transporter sequel. Um, huh. What other backdoor sequels are there? It's a, ve- it's a very rare, you know, there's always things that lead to other things that don't, you know, that are like the same way, like kind of how Mork and Mindy was a spinoff of Laverne and Shirley. And like, yeah. Step by Step was a spinoff of Family Matters because the first episode has Urkel, you know, parachute land in their backyard. But I like when you watch a thing and you don't realize there's a thing until, like, until either the director points it out or until the end of the movie. We're like, oh, that's well, supposedly The Rock is supposedly a James Bond movie. Like the the uh, the rumor is that Sean Connery's character is James Bond in that mm. film. So that's like the unofficial Bond film i can go along with that yeah sure he just has a different name because in now world of that movie james bond is a code name it's not his actual name see that's i uh i don't really like that as a fan theory <laughs> and like skyfall made sure to crush that theory to death like, no his name is james bond <laughs> his name is james bond this is his house He's like Sherlock Holmes. He's going to be played by different people. It'll be in different eras, but it's the same character. But I like uh, in uh, the old Casino Royale, the very not good Casino Royale. Oh, the com- the spoof one. Yeah, the spoof one, where it kind of plays with that idea where David Niven is James Bond, and he's ready to retire, and then like Peter O'Toole becomes James Bond. Peter Sellers, but, Woody Allen. Yeah, but Peter O'Toole, he has to go play in the, the card game. Peter Sellers. No, but it's supposed to be Peter O'Toole, but he doesn't know how to play oh, cards. Okay. So then like, they get Peter Sellers, who is good at playing cards, to then take on the moniker of James Bond oh, yeah, yeah. and go in and play the card game. And you're like, well, hey, that's cool. Because, yeah, it is crazy. Uh, <laughs> it is crazy lucky that... Uh, this best super spy in the world also knows how to play Texas Hold'em well enough to survive to the final round. Wait, I thought Peter Tool just had a cameo in that movie. Oh, I thought Peter Tool's like in the dream sequence where he's got these bagpipes. Okay, I, I can't think of too many other like backdoor sequels. I can just think of like promised future sequels, like at the end of uh, what one of the 
Jason movies. Uh, Freddy's hand comes up on the J- grave. Jason goes to hell. Yeah. The Fast and Furious sequels, starting with Tokyo Drift, are backdoor sequels to that Better Luck Tomorrow movie because the character of Han is in that movie. And then really? Justin Lin brought that character and brought him into the Fast and Furious franchise, is what I've heard. I've never seen Better Luck Tomorrow, but that's what everyone tells me. The, um, yeah, that movie with John Cho. But uh, yeah, th- this movie, though, is the unique thing of the same filmmaker making his own backdoor sequel. I think the only one. Um, why? It feels definitely feels tacked on for this, but then the announcement after this of like, I'm going to make a th- third movie with all these people in it. Was that plan? If this movie was a failure, would have that been the plan, or was that just sort of like this fun little fan pandering that you put at the back? Because like that, that was definitely the only thing I heard about this movie when it played at film festivals with everybody just being like, oh my god, the ending is an unbreakable, it's an unbreakable sequel. And then I went into the movie being like, oh, it's an unbreakable sequel. I didn't know. Which it is not. <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought they had it spoiled for me because of Fantastic Fest. Uh, someone comes into the video store. It's like, hey, you guys have that movie where um, it's like this serial killer with multiple personalities and at the end, he turns into a werewolf. I'm like, fuck you. That's the new M. Night Shyamalan movie. Damn but he, it. But he doesn't turn into a werewolf. No, he doesn't. So I, I, I got a surprise. But then I, I was on board with him turning into a werewolf because I like werewolf movies and we don't get enough of those. That would have been a good movie where the, the beast at full moon is like he's a werewolf. He's like, yeah. He happens to be a person with multiple personalities who also was bit by a werewolf. See, that's a good. I like that. In ten years, write that movie. Yeah, oh. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you mean Split? Like, yeah, that one, like that hasn't come out in theaters yet. Oh, but it was at Fantastic. <laughs> yes, it was at Fantastic Fest. <laughs> festival dates are not. If you're so savvy dates. that you know about things at a film festival, how do you not understand how theatrical release and home video release works? Oh, because you're under 25. And you yeah, understand. So it's a fucking <laughs> thorn in my side. People. The best is when people ask for movies that aren't even in theaters at all yet. And they're just like, do you, do you have the uh, Ocean's 8? And you're like, it doesn't come out until like August, man. But I saw a poster for it. Yeah. So I can't watch it? Like, no, it doesn't like work that way. They advertise it for a while, and then you watch the movie in the theater. And then you watch the movie at home via streaming or home video or whatever. People can't get it in their minds. People grabbing, Never, movies, grabbing movies off the new release shelf and like, hey, why is this new? It was at Fantastic Fest two years ago. Like, I don't have the time to explain <laughs> distribution to you right now. Yeah. <laughs> So, Anywho, <laughs> do you think Shyamalan went through all of his back movies? So the camera pans down, the girls at the diner, and was like, oh, this is like that thing where uh, <laughs> that boy could talk to ghosts. And it was like he had, oh, like, an what, ex- was what was it? And Haley Joel Osment, you know, all grown up and fat Hot now, chocolate. Like- would be like, it was a sixth sense. <laughs> <laughs> Man, those kids had a hard time. Those girls had a time. Like those guys, those kids who visited the grandparents. What, what was it they did? Like, what was it they did? The grandparents? They did something. It was, the, yeah, it was a visit. They visited them. <laughs> ah, yes, the visit. <laughs> he has a lot of powers. Like, well, who is that? The last Airbender. <laughs> 
I wonder what what's going to happen when we all die, and it's like a thousand years from now. What, what would we call this place after, after Earth? Earth. <laughs> see, uh, see, it'd be cool if it was like you go all the way, all the way back to like the first M Night movie, and it goes to M Night, and it's like talking about that one. What was that movie called? Pray with Pray anger. With anger. It's like, man, those kids. You know what they should have done? Pray with anger. Yeah, they should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> what an odd duck, much like Stuart Little. <laughs> so, uh, I feel he probably, because I seem to recall, and maybe I'm wrong, but I had a memory of him at one time not thinking well of Unbreakable and being like, oh, that was, I wrote that even before The Sixth Sense or whatever. That was like, that's that, that movie, because that movie, yeah, it's not as good. It wasn't really, like, I remember him for a while. I, mean, I thought I read, maybe I totally made this up. But I thought I read an interview we kind of was sort of like, that's my least favorite movie of mine. And then clearly over time, that's everybody's favorite, especially in like film geek world. Like Unbreakable is hands down the favorite Shyamalan movie. You know, like everyone likes that one the most. And I think maybe he kind of in retrospective was just kind of like, oh yeah, I guess I should, you know, for the people that have still stood by that movie, I'll give them a little something to be excited about. And if you're, at a film festival, and that happens, you're going to be like, oh, it'd be like Darth Vader showing up at the end of a movie you didn't know it was a Star Wars movie. You're like, it's Darth Vader, oh my God. And then all the fans like, get all on their phones, and they're like, can you believe it, OMG? And then uh, and then you have a guaranteed you know, audience then for a third movie. So even though your first movie in the series that isn't as well-known amongst everybody, like I think a lot of like regular people forgot about Unbreakable, clearly because people were coming to the video store being like, what's the other... Because a lot of people rented that movie when Split came out, being like, I've never saw that. What's that? And they were probably disappointed because it's nothing like Split at all because it was good. And then uh, then you have your third movie, which will be called Glass, and then it's going to be a sequel to these two movies where you get to watch the bad guy in the one movie fight the good guy in the other movie or something. Who knows how it's all. Because it, isn't... Is it going to be like Silence of the Lambs because Samuel yeah. Jackson is in prison? It has to And so be. is it going to be just Bruce Willis going to the jail and being like, there's oh, this man. guy and he's called the Horde. And what, how do I need to be like, this in a comic book. This is how this would go. This is how to say, God, I got you, man. And he goes out and that's how he fights. And he and then good will triumph over evil. And then that's the, and maybe there'll be a fourth movie. Maybe they'll turn out that one of these other characters in one of these two movies also has powers and they get a movie and it's like, Boom! You have a twenty movie. I hope you know universe. I film. hope Shyamalan has a a big enough budget, not too big. But I'm just trying to imagine what Mr. Glass's prison cell would look like because it would have to be a special cushion. cell where everything's like cushioned and soft, and they have to be like Magneto cell from X Men. Yeah. yeah, that would be very cool. Yeah. But you would need more than like five million dollars to do that. Well, the budget for Split, I believe, was nine, which is very yep. low because it's another Blumhouse film, just like The Visit. So they they kind of have their set budgets of like we have our one million dollar films, our five million dollar films, and our ten million dollar films. And this was the ten million dollar film. And then because of luck or because of the quality of the things they occasionally put out, their movies always make tons of money back. So they everyone you know gets mansions because your movie made hundred million dollars and only cost ten. Uh, though they advertised the heck out of Split. I remember seeing that advertised a lot. But, uh, yeah, I think that he's going to maybe keep making movies. Maybe this is, like, his thing. That he'll just keep making these unbreakable sequels. It'll turn out that the main lady in Split, she'll have some power that we didn't know about. Or something. And it'll just keep building on this kind of 
which is is kind of silly because it's like really you're just gonna do the Marvel DC thing, but with your own thing. But I also kind of respect that it's his own thing that it's he's making very few people kind of not based on a book, not based on a comic, they come up with their own universe of ideas like up, apart from television, like in movies that tends to not happen unless it's already got the you know the previous material that everyone's familiar with, whether it's like the Hunger Games or whatever. So yeah. I kind of respect that and he's trying the, to do a whole world of his own With these Marvel idea. movies, they will, I mean, to their credit, which they don't have much of, <laughs> but they will get a, you know, a name notable director, even an auteur sometimes, to direct these movies and then to put some cred behind it. Like, oh, guess what? Oh, you think Thor sounds silly? Well, Kenneth Branagh's directing it, <laughs> and you're like, "This movie's fucking silly," because <laughs> Kenneth Branagh is really hit or miss. It turns out, mostly miss, I guess. Mostly miss. <laughs> or like, oh, like Taika Waititi's directing the new Thor movie, and I actually like Thor Ragnarok, but the only Taika Waititi thing about it is uh, all the cameos from uh, from Kiwis. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Sam Neill is in it, and um, there's a a Kiwi rock monster in it who's very funny. <laughs> so the the humor is Taika Waititi, but the action is all just Marvel yeah. action. It's the same thing with uh, like you know John Favreau directing the Iron Man movies. It, it's just action. It's yeah. not really like about. You know, Iron Man doesn't talk with Vince Vaughn about relationships for most of the movie. Yeah. Because they have this uh, bigger Marvel universe that they have to stay within the boundaries of. Yeah. And they have to consider that first before putting any style or flair into the movie. But with Shyamalan, it's all his own creation. And he is an auteur. So he can, like, when we get this mash him up sequel he he doesn't have a grander universe run by a giant corporation to stay within the bounds of he can just do whatever he wants as long as he stays within the budget blumhouse gave him and no gratuitous stan lee cameo that you have to sit oh through. my god those are like out of control <laughs> I, I really liked about this movie that it's the first one in a while of his movies that actually have style and actually yes, we can tell yes, that he yes. made it where it has his has his long takes and has his well composed shots and like it's just like he it actually can tell that every angle shot every cut has thought behind it which I haven't felt that way since the happening was the last time where it felt like a movie by him like definitely yeah. not the two big bloated Hollywood movies he made and, and the visit is too trapped in the confinement to full of found footage movie to kind of <clears> give you the his style, I feel that's more of the style of found footage movie. But this one, it was it was refreshing to be like, ah, you're yes, the shots you're thinking about the sh you're allowed to like I don't know in a big big movie if you just don't have the control to kind of sit back and like be able to convey like how you want it to like feel. But in this, it really feels like how his other stuff does. Or maybe he just decided to like I'm gonna give a darn again and really go back to like what my stuff was. This feels more like. A continuation of his old stuff, which is how it is fitting that it is a backdoor unbreakable sequel because it's like, oh, see, remember, it's like those movies I made, but it doesn't feel forced, it doesn't feel like it's not like <laughs> Tim Burton 
putting bendy trees in his new movies, being like, see, look, I didn't lose it. See, look, the trees are still all bendy and weird. And like, he's lost it to burn. But this one feels like it came from a true place, that it was a movie made by this person, and this is how their vision of making a movie is. Yes, you feel that, um, in, you feel that in the craft of the film, and also maybe not as successfully in the themes of the film. Because his movies, they used to have themes and subtext, and they were really about ideas, and they conveyed those ideas about people trying to find their place in the world yeah unbreakable is about two people trying to find their place into the world and find meaning behind their existence and meaning behind their you know afflictions their superpower affliction Mm -hmm. because it really wasn't helping bruce willis out up to that point in his life Mm -hmm. in split not so much, because Shaman is in full bore horror mode. He's just trying to thrill and create suspense and scare you as much as he can. But there is James McAvoy, Kevin Wendell Crumb, with all these personalities and with the Beast trying to f- find purpose to his life or purpose to his disorder. Because mm-hmm. he was abused as a child. That's how you get dissociative identity disorder. You get abused as a child so much that you create a different personality that all the bad stuff happened to. And then once you've split once, you can split easily again and again. But then you've got this disorder and you're different and you have to go to the therapist or be institutionalized possibly. And so he is searching for like a reason, a meaning behind that. And that is creating the beast or the horde. I don't know how that connects or makes sense, but he views himself as being like, the horde views itself as being special for having survived all of this suffering. And it despises all everyone else, all of these untouched people that haven't suffered, which is why it's... Uh, you know, he, it kills and eats the other two girls and it leaves Casey alone when it sees, you know, the scars on her arms and on her stomach mm-hmm. because she's suffered. So she's enlightened like he is, which is not a good philosophy, the philosophy of the crazy monster that yeah. is bent on killing as many people as it can. Apparently, <laughs> that seems to be its plan. But there is like a, a, a purpose to the villain. There's some kind of idea underlying these characters. I don't think it really works. And we can talk about the how it handles mental illness. <laughs> just poorly. like with the yeah, just like with the visit, it's just sort of like I feel the time is done. Or, like, let's make these people, these people we should be afraid of and just assume that they're all going to be these crazy people running around that are yeah. going to murder you and, <laughs> and just treat it in a more, more serious yeah. way. I feel like you can't really do that anymore. Yeah. Unfortunately. Or fortunately. <laughs> you know, unfortunately for movies, fortunately for the people who actually have to deal with these in real life. I also didn't care for how the movie, I really felt that. I wished the movie was just in his bunker. I feel it would have been scarier. Think of it if it was like one of those Saw sequels where you're just like trapped in this weird place and you have to get out of it. I feel every time it cut to like a therapy session or a flashback, 
it kind of killed the tension for me. There was never a point where whenever they were with Betty Buckley's character where I was worried about the girls, I kind of forgot about it. I was just like, now I'm in the scene where they're having this therapy session. And they're like, oh yeah, there's those people in peril on the other side of town. And they would come back and they would be like in a new form of trying to figure out how to get up. But like it would have been scarier maybe if you just kind of kept it there where they were trapped and you maybe even knew less about what was going on and you had to learn what was going on through the different personalities and you cut out the therapist character altogether and you make the movie shorter all right how about, uh, the, how about the therapist just shows up yeah at the at end being like oh my place. god i've been getting emails yeah because you know, if the girl checked the computer I was like who are this doctor he keeps saying emails when he shows up and the guys would be like uh scamming crothers in the shining right? yeah he shows up the save the day and he gets killed. That's <laughs> you know, I like, mean, oh, that, is, well. <laughs> that is her that is the function of her character <laughs> is to give exposition and show up at the end and provide a, a way out. And I think it could have still had the ending where you see the lady was a secret cutter or was abused and you'd be like, Oh, something bad happened to you. And you don't need all this flashback. Because I think a lot of two of the flashback of the main lady was to show this is why she's smarter than the other people. This is why she is more aware of these things. The flashbacks are all of her on a hunting Hunting trip. with her dad and then being molested by her uncle. Yeah. And then that's what made her tough and able to be smart in the world, sort of. Which is also stupid, because if it was a male character kidnapped, you wouldn't have to have them be molested to be tough. You, they would just be tough. They would just be smart. You don't have to have this backstory, but that's like a weird thing that movies like to do with women. Where it's just like, oh, well, the reason why she's mad is because she was raped. Or the reason why she's tough is because she was beaten up once. But you never have, like, Sylvester Stallone never has that background <laughs> in a movie of this, like, why is he so angry and tough? Well, he's raped in prison once or on the street. You know, like, that never, it's only a weird thing with female characters in, in certain movies. Uh, but wouldn't have been cool if she just was smart and yeah. tough. Yeah, <laughs> it would just was smarter than the other two because she's like the weird, quiet one. You don't need. All this, like she's in the movie, we're already seeing her being kidnapped and held in this place and having horrible things happen. Or do you need this backstory of, oh, by the way, her life before this was also horrible and terrible and she had to deal with this other stuff? Like, I didn't really feel that was and necessary then, at all. I, I, yeah, I feel like it's unnecessary. It would have been great if she had just been a smart, clever girl. Yeah. And then we find out at the end she has scars. Like for a classic some final girl in a horror film. Yeah. Where it's like, you are just the smarter one. You're the one who isn't doing the stupid things. Therefore, you will live beyond everyone else. And I movie. hate that her final scene in the movie is of her in the back of the cop car. When one of the cops says, like, oh, your uncle's here. And she just stares. You're like, oh, good. Now she will continue to, to have terrible things. Yeah. Unless she's, in fact, 30 like, who knows how old she's supposed to be? Yeah, movie. and she's like, starting. She doesn't this, have to go with him, uh, but yeah, like, she, I mean, couldn't she have just said, um, "I'm fine"? As long as, uh, as long as I'm talking to the cops, yeah. Let me tell you about some other stuff, so I don't have to go I continue wonder, to live with my molester uncle. Is she supposed to be in Glass? Is she going to come back to help Bruce Willis? Since she is the kind of the, had the front row seat of this guy's I don't breakdown. know. That would be interesting. I haven't heard anything back. about that. But yeah, the best part of the movie, though, is the part. Well, Matt, let's, McAvoy is great in this movie. Like, as not good as some of this movie is, he rises above, as he does in anything, he's in him. Like, as he's just great. He is, he's so good. 
And this is the kind of role that any actor would dream to have because it's like you get to play all these different people, but then you have to have it. It is the same person, but you have all these different personalities. So much like, you know, like Sally Field and was it Sybil? Was that the multiple personality yeah. she did? Is it sort of like for an actor to kind of sink their teeth into something? That's, it's, it would be very difficult. It's a very challenging thing, I'm sure. And he does so good. Like it was really disappointing that. This movie came out at the beginning of 2017, and so by the end of it, nobody remembered awards no, and how and great it, he is in this movie. Um, like he should have been nominated for something for this because it's a great performance. He should have. And uh, 2017 was a good year for horror movies. It started out with Split, a huge hit. Everyone was talking about it. Then the next month, Get Out. Get Out. Happens. And then you had It was yeah. in September, which is the biggest horror movie of all time now. So it's like horror, it's back. They're making movies of quality again for horror, which is nice. It's great. But yes, McAvoy, he's one of my so he's one of my favorite actors. He's so good he's, in this movie. He's good in everything. And in Split, he goes what I call full McAvoy. <laughs> it's like if you watch his films. What are the other full McAvoy movies where he goes goes to that extra level? Uh Victor Frankenstein and Filth. He totally... Oh, and his one-second cameo in Muppets Most Wanted. (laughs) Where he just, like, lets go, and you can tell that this is how he probably wants to play every role, but he's holding back. (laughs) It's like when you watch those Nicolas Cage movies where being like, oh, man, he must be, like, biting into his tongue to try to not be the way he normally is in movies because this movie requires him just to be, like somber and serious or whatever and you're like don't let him do that he's he's you gotta unleash you gotta unleash it and he mcavoy unleashes in this he's so good and like every time he switches personalities like you're just into that character like you don't like you kind of get lost in it and and like you really get involved in all these different people because it's not just him changing his voice it's him changing the way he carries his body the whole thing and I couldn't imagine being an actor and having to not just remember and think about how to do one performance, but to do like eight. And it's without makeup. It's not like Eddie Murphy being like, now I'm a Chinese guy in Norbert and now I'm a lady. Like instead it's, it's like, no, you don't have to actually change the way you look. You just have to change the way you are. And believably. And yeah. he does it. He, he reminded really me, it. he reminded me of, of Nicholas Cage in adaptation where he played the two Charlie and Donald Kaufman and you were able to know the difference between them at all times just from how Nicolas Cage played each character. They dressed kind of differently, but not really. It was just how he carried himself, how he acted, how he used his body, the uh, the cadence of his speech. And McAvoy is the same way here. There's a scene where he's one personality, and then uh, like one of the girls is trying to get away and then just from the way he walks, you can tell, like, oh, that's Patricia now. And he's very angry. When he plays the boy, he's really good. Yeah. Um, it's not really cutesy. And he's not playing, like, a dumb adult. Yeah. And he in, in the scene where he's in his room dancing is the best. I think that's maybe one of the best scenes in any M. Night movie, period. Because it's so weird. And that song is really good. And then it's interesting because it's kind of done from the point of view of the girl. We're kind of on the other side of the room and you watch him kind of walk around in the space doing this thing. 
And then it does this great cut where then you're kind of on his shoulder and you're kind of then looking at her, like you're him kind of looking at her, kind of <laughs> not sure what she's not sure what to do. And he's doing this this crazy uh, dance. Number. Yeah, this like sort <laughs> of so good. Yeah, it's like if but, a ten year old in the body of an adult tried break dancing but didn't really know how to do it. It's really good. Yeah, there's a shot where it's from her point of view, and McAvoy's Hedwig comes at her like shaking his body <laughs> and he's like just shaking his head and it's so strange and creepy it's one of those situations where like you know this prob this like this isn't scary but if i was in that room and this was hap i had to watch this i would be very scared <laughs> another great part of this movie is that is you get another m night cameo and it's been a while since he's been on screen. Yeah, he had no cameo in the visit at all. Not in uh, After Earth. No. Not in Airbender. No. So it was the happening. Yeah, the Wait, happening he, where it was he was. But he's uh, just a voice. A voice on an answering. So machine. you haven't seen him since Lady in the Water, where you saw a lot of him. So maybe he yeah. knew. Okay, I gotta calm down. A bit back. This is cameo. a good cameo he for play, him. He to plays come back. Uh, Jay, the Hooters lover. And he's in one scene only. He's got beautiful curly hair now. I think it's a great look he's, for him. Now. He's let the hair go. He looks it's... fantastic. Yeah. And, and he just kind of is the – he's like the security guy in the building where, where Betty Buckley lives and works. Like, I, is it like – I couldn't quite tell who – what his role is. But basically she goes I with him so. to watch security cam footage of her patient leaving just to notice that, it, that she was right, that it was Dennis pretending to be Barry. Because if because one of them has OCD and she's like that's intentional like the way he did that that's an intentional way he walked with the blah 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 and then the uh, the reason why he's called Jay the Hooters level because he's eating isn't he eating like some he, sort of like he's eating the, the hot wings, wings? yeah, yeah. <laughs> from that he got from Hooters which I didn't know you can take food to go or maybe it was just leftovers who knows Does Hooters have a drive through can you just get Hooters to go I guess that defeats the whole purpose of why that place exists but like, <laughs> I like the idea there's like a Hooters no it's because it's because it's really good food right. <laughs> I've never been. I never will. At the last time I went to Hooters, I was like 13 <laughs> with my friends. Like we all got dropped off at the mall, and we all kind of collectively realized, like we're we're too old for this. This is not. This is 13. Not cool. You're already too old. You're like yeah. this is pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> Only babies can appreciate breasts this much with their food, with their meal time. Um. So, the movie isn't as scary as it could be. I feel like, in a way, the visit is a little scarier because the, the kids are because I don't know. There's stuff because you really don't know what's going on until the end of that. You really one. don't know, and the kids uh, are trapped in that house. Well, the girls are trapped in this one, but it just never feels that scary. Well, to the me. movie though, the movie is trapped with them, with, yeah. with the kids in the visit in the house. Whereas this one, you're going all over. Town. Yeah, it doesn't cut to to the mom on her cruise or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it is definitely a horror movie, but is it scary? Not really. This is more of like a suspense movie, even though it has a supernatural element to it. Uh, I believe it's in the horror section, right? Yeah. At, at Vulcan Video. I wonder if Glass will be a combo of both, or is it going to just be more like a straightforward, like this is just an action superhero because the thing is, now that you know what happens, I don't really know how it would be scary. You know, just like, okay, mm -hmm. we know what this guy can do. We can turn it into this beast thing, and now Bruce Willis has to stop him. 
Um, it'll be weird to see a Bruce Willis movie that's not straight to Redbox uh, or that's not completely yeah. garbage like Death Wish or whatever. Oh, directed uh, by Eli Roth. Um, <laughs> I was so disappointed. I I got uh, my like m- movies confused. I guess I confused the remake of Death Wish with the uh, the new like Ocean's Eight, and I thought we were gonna get Lady Death Wish. Lady Death wasn't that that Jodie Foster movie, the Brave One. Wasn't oh, yeah. that basically Lady Death Wish? Yeah, yeah. She was she was out for revenge because. <laughs> A man in her life was murdered or something. Yeah, that's but, Lady Death Wish. Yeah, so I was like, all right, doing a remake of Death Wish, but with a woman. Okay, that's cool. But no, it's actually with Bruce Willis. And you're like, ah, oh, why? <laughs> why? So don't remake Death Wish. Death Wish is a great movie. No, and Bruce Willis, we all know that Moonlighting was 30 years ago. Come on. <laughs> Come on. You so, have to stop doing these action movies and pretending that we don't know how old you really are. <laughs> His lack of hair too makes him look yeah. even older. And he's not, he's not even doing like the old man action thing. No, not yet. So is there anything else you want to add to this uh, movie before we kind of think about and talk about the whole project as a whole? So huge hit budget, 9 million Box office, $278.5 million. That's worldwide? Yeah. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Gosh. I really like McAvoy's delivery when he's Hedwig. The girl's trying to get information out of him. Hedwig starts talking about the beast and says, he's done He's done awful things to people, and he's going to do awful things to you. And says it with like a smile on his face. <laughs> it's so creepy. It's so creepy. I love it. I love it. Shaman doesn't really play with the idea of unlocking the power of the brain too much, but that's something that comes up in like one of Betty Buckley's scenes of exposition, where maybe sociopath identity disorder unlocks the potential of the unused potential of the brain, and that's why it can make your body do all these crazy things and go through crazy changes and i i don't care for the unlocking of the potential of the brain as a movie trope where it's like oh like you only use 10 percent of your brain and if you use more you'd have superpowers <laughs> you'd be like john travolta and phenomenon or scarlett johansson or whatever that movie oh, was lucy, lucy. yeah Ugh, like but they did he didn't really harp on that too much just use it as exposition to feed it to the audience to get them ready for some crazy supernatural stuff that maybe still could happen in the real world. Um, this score was by Wes Dylan Thordson. I I don't know, not James Newton Howard. Maybe they've parted ways. Maybe, maybe parted he'll ways. come back for glass. Maybe he'll come back for glass. Maybe James Newton Howard needs that studio money. And this is shot by Michael Geolakis. I hope that's how you say it. Probably not. Uh, but he shot It Follows. Another, the, a great, another great looking movie. The, a great looking movie. Not a good movie. Not a good movie. <laughs> I didn't like it. No, me neither. But uh, it looked good. Indie, indie horror movie fans loved it. But for me, that won the award of overrated indie art house horror movie of that year. There's been a lot. The Babadook is another one. Was like this movie. I like the Babadook. Um, Man, it follows. It's bad. Uh, (laughs) 
So now that we've gone through up to this point in time, every movie by M. Night Shyamalan, and it took us about a year and a half, right? Does that seem about right? About a year and a half? Yeah. What do you think was the biggest surprise for you while rewatching these and for the first time watching? Which one was the one that was sort of like the surprise? Either you didn't realize how bad it was or how good it was or what you got out of it. It was the one that really kind of was like, oh, it was interesting in a surprising way. Hmm. For me, it was watching Signs again. For I only seen that movie once, and I remember hating it, hating it, hating it, and being so let down by it. And then watching it again, I realized that it's actually pretty good. Like it has a the twist. I have a problem with the twist, but like in terms of filmmaking, I think it's one of the better ones that we watched. Honestly, I think Signs is really well directed, well acted, and that kind of surprised me. And then I also was surprised by his first movie, Pray with Anger, wasn't tr- as bad as I thought it was for a movie that was kind of been kind of buried and not, you know, released in a proper way. And it's not bad for a first movie. It's totally good. Those are my big kind of like surprises. I think my big surprises were um, watching The Village again and seeing it as a post 9-11 movie because it totally is i'm sure that that's not it was not explicitly intended to be but like you watch it now and this stuff's all it's all over the place people retreating to a old way of life getting away from the cities because bad things happen in the new modern world it's like wow this is really and like can... post 9-11 stuff. And after September 11th, the trend in horror movies was Americans go on vacation and get tortured to death. Yeah. Because the big shock for a lot of people on September 11th, aside from the obvious, was realizing that, wait, most of the world doesn't like us? <laughs> oh, no. It also has the post 9-11 thing of scaring people just to stay home and being like, well, if you leave your house, bad things will happen. Yeah. Don't go there. And it's all made up by the people in power to uh, to scare you and to make you discomfortable at home and not want to leave. <laughs> the scene, just all of these movies again, and at least his first, you know, his his first run of uh, of being an auteur. Man, this guy really does have like themes and ideas that he keeps playing with again and again. The way that you know, filmmakers will of how, um, you know, Michael Mann makes movies about smart criminals and smart thieves and or smart cops and smart criminals. Yeah, Alfred Hitchcock kept making movies about wrongfully accused people. Woody Allen, of course, just keeps making like the same five movies <laughs> again and again. It's nice because there's not, I feel there's not a lot of filmmakers that do that anymore. I think anyone is quick to be like, yeah, I'll do a Star Wars movie. And you yeah. kind of quickly lose, you know, like very rarely now do you have the filmmaker who slowly kind of works up a filmography like this. Whereas like M. Night, you know, Sixth Sense was his third movie. And then he kept going with his themes after that. And it took him a while to kind of get to his stupid bloated things after he made movies that didn't do well. And then the opposite happened of like, you're given now more money because you didn't do so well to try to make these bigger, not personal things. And then realizing that's not how I want to do it. I don't need to do that. 
I have enough money, I'll make these weird smaller movies for Blumhouse and make it more like with the themes and the ideas that I had before and kind of going back to that. And I think a lot of filmmakers now, they make their one little movie, you make your safety not guaranteed, boom, you're allowed to make a Jurassic Park movie, you're like, great, and you have to answer to all the questions that that goes with and what everyone wants that isn't your own vision. And then you attempt to make a small movie again, but you've already forgotten anything that you stood for because you now got a billion-dollar paycheck from your Jurassic Park movie, and you make a movie that is universally hated by all, and you're kicked out of doing the new Star Wars movie, and then you're like, what happened? What do I do? And they, too many filmmakers don't have that kind of... get to sit in and kind of almost plan out your filmography in a way and be kind of more particular. Not by choice, usually because you just aren't given enough money right off the bat, and you just have to kind of keep making your little movies and your weird movies and you're kind of trapped in your life and your obsessions. <clears throat> and then once you've made it, then you can kind of, if you're smart enough, like M night, you can kind of still play with that and build on it and actually have a filmography that counts and not just be like, I'm doing this and now I'm doing this movie and it doesn't mean anything. And you're like, wait, what does this filmography mean? What is the point of what you're making? Is it just a job to you? Are you just making money? Is that why you're just doing these things? Like only People like a Ron Howard or you know can pull off being that much of a chameleon and stay stay a quality filmmaker. But it's a rare thing. Usually, it's just like okay, you made your Marvel movie, and then you never make a small movie again, or it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't. You're yeah. done. And I like that he. You watch him grow as you watch him like grow as a filmmaker and get the tools to kind of even more tell these kind of stories that are within his world and within his kind of version of storytelling which i really like also i didn't like split the first time we saw it i kind of like it this time and i feel like it's just it's because we have seen it now you built to it yeah we seen it we have seen it now as part of a larger body of work yeah and after him going through the bloated hollywood movies and then The Visit, which is just kind of pure horror. And this, which is like straight, which is just straight horror. But now like some of his themes are creeping back in. Let's hope he can stay the course and kind of keep kind of doing this forever now. Just be like, okay, I did my big things mm -hmm. done with that. Now I can just make these, these, these specific types of movies forever. And not, now that I know what it's like to play with these big toys, I don't even do it anymore. I've done it, done. Now I can kind of stick with this thing. And he's doing good. Like, The Visit was a huge hit. This was an even bigger hit. The Split was. I, I'm sure Glass will be a big hit. So hopefully he can just kind of stay focused and kind of keep keep with this. It would be nice. Um, so out of watching all of them, what do you say is your favorite and your least favorite? Ooh. If you had the whole scale, I mean, what was the what would be at the very top? Now that you've watched it all again, and has it changed? Did it change than before we when before we did this? See, so my like, what was your favorite before we did watched them all and my, watched them again? My favorite before we watched them all was Signs. Yeah, we started watching them all. No, it's it's unbreakable. But now maybe back to Signs. But those two are, they're just so good. They're really close for me, but there's there is something, I don't know about signs, it just uh, like tips it over, uh, tips it over the top for me. Oh, they're so good. But like Unbreakable is a movie where I watch it and every time I watch it, I am floored by how good it is and how caught up I am in it. So after I see Unbreakable, <laughs> like that's, that's my favorite. That's, that's the best one. 
but um, yeah, I'm, I'm 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 gonna go with Signs and my least favorite After Earth. Is it? Yeah. It's it's the least personal of all of them. It's the least personal. It's sci-fi. It's not very entertaining. The Last Airbender was you know based on a really good anime. It had good source material material, so you could watch it. And be like, this movie's not good, but it seems like there are good things in it. Maybe I should check out where all this stuff came from. Yeah. And with After Earth, there's none of that. <laughs> it's just a sci-fi video game type movie. And that doesn't have good characters in it. It doesn't have monsters or sci-fi or anything good sci-fi in it. My my favorite was and still is Unbreakable. That movie's so good. Like it's it's like it was great when I first saw it in the theater. It's still great now. That's why it kind of soured me with Split because I was like, don't tarnish the greatness of Unbreakable by just slapping this little ending on your movie. But who knows? Maybe Glass will pull it back and make it this great mm-hmm. clear vision. But uh, but Unbreakable is it's so good, and I think that's the best balance of his sort of like humor and suspense and kind of a little bit of horror and action and just like they they think it's so well directed and so well composed and it's doesn't really even though the mr glass character ends up being this bad guy and it's sort of a twist at the end the whole movie isn't really needed doesn't really need a twist to enjoy it it's not like the sixth sense where it's like once you've watched it it's kind of changed forever and you'll never get the same thrill you did the first time now knowing that he's uh did bruce willis is dead but unbreakable because it's just sort of like a slow realization that he is a superhero that works every time you watch it every time you watch it slowly you as an audience member and him as a character learning that this is a movie about superman basically like that's always exciting every time and it's one of the best bruce willis performances and the music is great and it's like man that movie's so good I will never get sick of that movie. My least favorite, I feel, <clears throat> is The Happening. The, even though I feel that The Last Airbender and After Earth are worse movies, but to me, mm-hmm. those movies are bad in the way that any big stupid movie is bad. Whereas The Happening is is more of a letdown and more of a failure because it's like it's, it's you're watching a great filmmaker fail at his own, what he's good at. Like with The Happening, it's not scary it's just really stupid <laughs> and it's just like what did you do like like lady in the water which i think a lot of people still consider his worst i think is just more of an admirable failure because he really tried to do something different and had this grand idea in his mind and it just didn't work whereas the happening just feels like there it wasn't a lot of thought but it just was like i don't know like plants make people kill you and the wind blows it around and the characters are kind of empty and hollow. And it's just the first time where you're just sort of like, I'm not really getting the emotional resonance that his characters had in the movies prior to this. Whereas like they kind of have this drama between the main characters in the happening, but it doesn't have the weight of every, of signs or the village or any of that thing. It just kind of feels slapped on where it's like, it's him trying to do this simple, silly horror movie, but then trying to pretend that we care about any of these people. And you don't. And like when John Leguizamo dies, you don't feel anything. You're just like, oh, that was weird. He flew out the window. Uh, so to me, that's my least favorite is the happening. Um, <clears throat> but I'm glad we watched them all. 
I feel like I now really, I feel like this, this is how I always watch movies by filmmakers. I've always been a beginning to end guy. The first person I ever studied as a filmmaker was Steven Spielberg. I had a Steven Spielberg book that I got in like sixth or seventh grade. And I started at the beginning and just went to the library and just went through every movie I could find, which wasn't all of them, but for most of them, and watching the director of Duel, then go to Jaws and couldn't work all his way up to, at the time, was Jurassic Park was a very rewarding experience. I think if you're into movies, whether you want to make them or you're just excited about like, getting into the world of a filmmaker and kind of really, especially if it's a good one or an interesting one like M. Night, you get to see the ups and downs and all like the kind of this trajectory in this interesting way as he goes as, as he goes through movie to movie to build this big kind of body of work. For me, um, for me, it was Stanley Kubrick. I bought, I had seen like, Full Metal Jacket and 2001, and I bought the uh, Stanley Kubrick DVD box set, the like the the old old one. Like, the DVD still? Yeah, the white one, like the ones with the white oh, covers yeah, yeah. and the snap yeah. cases. Yeah. It cost me like two hundred dollars because this was like the year 2000 or 2001, and I watched those in order except for Lolita. Which when I get a box set, I will purposely not watch one movie, because then then you're done. You did it yeah, then I'm done. Like it's <laughs> you know, so I, I still have something. I, I still haven't seen uh, Lolita. I still haven't seen Who's That Knocking at My Door from the Martin Scorsese Warner Brothers. You gotta box watch set. these movies. I will these watch it eventually, movies. but like once I do, like like the journey is is over. I watched when I first started working at Vulcan, the first filmmaker who I went through everything in chronological order was Dario Argento. That's a lot of movies. That's a lot of movies. And man, it is a hell of a ride. <laughs> like I would do that again. Is there any ups and downs or is it just a down? It's, <laughs> is it just like from quality to no quality? There are ups like, and, is there zigzag? There's little level? ups and downs. It's like, it's like a roller coaster. It starts out with, uh, you know, small ups and downs. Starts out good with Bird with, with the Crystal Plumage. Cat of Nine Tails, I think, was that good. And then he does, like, uh, Deep Red, which is really good. And he does Suspiria, which is amazing. And then he does, like, Inferno, which is not really good. And then he does, like, Tenebrae, which is, okay, that's it's all right. It's better. And then opera is like, this is not good, but it has some cool deaths in it. If, like, you know, if uh, you like cool deaths in horror movies. <laughs> and then it just gets lower and lower. And then once you hit, like, 1990, it is all straight <laughs> downhill to hell <laughs> until you get to Argento's Dracula 3D, which is, oh, it, which is gloriously bad. It's, like, <laughs> it's so bad. It's delicious. It's interesting when people go through these ups and downs where you kind of see like, you know, like, Oh, you've made these hits. Then they weren't hits, but they still wanted hits from you. And, but then you kind of take a left turn and you make these kind of not personal. It's just like, it's, it's always interesting to walk those through filmmakers. It was interesting yeah. watching Shyamalan seeing, seeing these themes pop up, these themes of where's my place in the world. I'm different because I have a sixth sense or I have superpowers. I'm or, American in India. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what does that mean for me? And what is, how do I fit into the world? And there's this, there's this bigger thing around them, whether it's 
you know, God and signs or whatever that they're trying to understand and connect with. And then unfortunately, all that goes away. <laughs> and his better movies are the ones with with those themes in them that mm-hmm. give you something, yeah. that give the back of your mind something to ponder. And yeah. that's what makes them stick, which is what makes Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. That's why it's still, like, Praying with Anger still has stuck with me in a way. Yeah. And he tries to come back to that with Split, with the McAvoy character trying to find a reason or, like, a validity behind his disorder that makes him different. Well, maybe that makes him special so he's better than all these other people and they should all die at the hands of the beast which is not again i'm not condoning that idea (laughs) not a good one but like oh that is the philosophy that a villain would have like magneto has that philosophy yeah and so he he starts to come back to that i'm like oh hey that's that's Shyamalan like like poking in again just a little it's like in this movie they're the gliding long camera movements not as not as extensive as as they once were but it's still there and so this movie i i, I liked it more this time because i could see the auteur of Shyamalan yeah coming back and like thought and care <clears throat> is going back into the shots and it's weird to see in a filmmaker's body of work him build up a certain style cinematically thematically lose his way try something new, and then now is trying to incorporate his old style with his new style. Yeah. Normally, filmmakers just lose their way, and then that's it. You know, (laughs) then they're just guns for hire. Like, look at, you know, Peter Bogdanovich's career. Made these really good movies in the 70s with a distinct style, and then after a certain point, he just became, like, a gun for hire. And forever. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm glad we did this. I, when we started, I wasn't sure why we were doing it exactly. It just seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, yeah, but uh, I always thought of us as the podcast started on a dare. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I was uh, very happy to do this because it really made me appreciate kind of his his whole his whole filmography. And I'm I'm excited to see what there is to come in the future. And we'll. Do another one of these episodes once uh, once Glass comes out. Hopefully, we'll get back together and hammer out another one. Yeah, yeah, we we will definitely be back for Glass whenever that is. Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen, probably. Yeah. Probably January. Maybe. But yeah, this was fun. This was a good a good ride, and I'm glad we went with Shyamalan for this because. It's more fun that way. Someone who is undeniably an an auteur, but not the first person you would go to when you have to write your scholarly film paper, <laughs> you know, for your RTF class or whatever. Yeah. But th- that that's the more interesting career to look at. Mm-hmm. And Watch, it was easy to do. Too. Yeah, not that many movies. Yeah. yeah, I guess we're done. I'm so sad that it's all over with, but. Uh-huh. Uh, I feel rewarded in the in the process that we did. Me too. It was a good um, ride. Um, now but, I know about scotch a little more than I did too. Yeah, me too. We had a lot of good scotch. <laughs> 
Scotch. I still have three bottles of Scotch from three different episodes on my bar cart because I don't drink it that quickly. Oh, no, mine are all gone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's all gone. (laughs) (laughs) But it's nice. I feel like a grown-up, you know, I'm having a, a responsible amount of of liquor and watching a movie and analyzing the themes and the style. And it's good, I think, too, for any person who wants to make movies or loves movies, I think it's good to kind of still study them, even after you're out of film school or after you're done with your main hump of being obsessive. You know, because everybody who's in the movies has that first batch of, like, I'm going to watch everything or I'm going to read about this and I'm going to follow down this rabbit hole and down this path and do this and that and then a lot of people kind of level out uh from that love and that kind of need to learn and i think it's important to keep learning if you like movies it's fun to kind of force yourself to think a little harder about even things you've seen a lot of times you've taken for granted it's just fun to kind of be a little more critical or just kind of put under a magnifying glass and i think it makes you a a more a more stronger film watcher just like there's more going on in your brain then you're not just watching a movie passively it's like you keep the you just keep this the education going forever you do and that's that's very true yeah you don't have to stick with just the big guys like yes everyone like if you're studying film you have to watch you know hitchcock like 1940 through uh you know through the birds and 63 you've got to watch you know spielberg movies you got to watch the new Hollywood guys, Scorsese, Coppola, early Bogdanovich. You got to watch those guys. But, like, maybe also look at the filmographies of some unlikely, some unlikely auteurs, like M. Night Shyamalan. Because <laughs> you will, you will, you will get something from it. You'll, you'll see how you don't have to be just like, you know, a, a Steven Spielberg or a Werner Herzog to get, you know, a, a distinct style and a distinct a distinct career. You could be, uh, for, you know, for a while, Shyamalan was like a mid-level filmmaker. He can still have uh, movies with style and substance to them. And it can be in the horror genre, the thriller genre. It can play around with genres. So yeah, if you need to study horror movies, yeah, watch Psycho and The Birds and watch Wes Craven movies and John Carpenter movies. But you know what? Also watch someone whose name you haven't uh, heard of as much. Watch, you know, uh, The Bavas, both of them. Yeah. Mario Bava and... Lumberto. Lumberto Bava. <laughs> watch them. Watch some Argento uh and if you like, or if you like a movie by somebody, you know, dig deep and see what else they have, because you might find. Like, I would have never watched Play with Anger if we hadn't done this. I would have never watched that movie. But if you like a movie, like dig deep and see what else that person has. And now, with the internet being so vast and amazing, you can find like yeah. short films that these people made and like interviews, and just kind of really, you know, latch on to these people and like kind of go go for this crazy ride through everything that they've done. It's it's very interesting to look at someone's career, like um, career of Bernard Rose, who <laughs> hasn't made many movies, but his two films of note are Immortal Beloved, the Gary Oldman Beethoven biopic 
which is really, really good. Very, very good. But maybe his better, his best movie is Candyman. Yep. Candyman <laughs> 1. It's one of my favorite horror movies. It's like a gothic romance. And the style and the pacing, I think it's his only horror movie. It's like, yeah, that's a horror movie made by someone that, that is not a horror filmmaker who brought his uh, sense to, you know, to a, a modern day horror movie with excellent results. It's also fun to not just dig in the past of a filmmaker if you like the movies by them, but also to kind of go forward and watch the ones that you didn't watch, that you forgot to watch, that they made after the one you liked, but for some reason you stopped. Like, I'm glad that we watched everything past Unbreakable, you know. For example, if you like... You know, a lot of people watched Lost in Translation and loved it. And, of course, everyone before that watched Virgin Suicides. But then a lot of people yeah. dropped off from Sofia Coppola's films and didn't see The Bling Ring or Somewhere or Mary Antoinette, which is my, personally my favorite movie of hers. I think it's fun to kind of give a chance to filmmakers. If you really were really into one, even one of their movies, maybe just kind of stick it out and just sit through what other movies made after that, that for some reason or other you didn't watch. And you're like, I don't need to watch those movies. Ever. I didn't, it wasn't as popular. I was out of college and I stopped going to the art or whatever it is, but it's fun to kind of round it out and just kind of sit in it and just kind of think about it. And you might find you'll like some of these movies. You never thought you'd even want to watch. Yeah. And it's always, always be open to, you know, a filmmaker having a comeback like with Shyamalan, who's someone that, yeah, I wrote off who <laughs> in my personal movie collection had his own, you know, section. I had all his movies grouped together. And after a certain point, I'm like, this guy is not, he's not on it, man. He's, he's, at, he's off his game. And so I divided those up into different sections. Now he's back making interesting movies again. Yeah. I mean, even though I, even though I didn't like the visit and, uh, I like split the second time around. I mean, he's back making interesting movies. And Sophia Coppola is another one she made. The Beguiled? Yeah, she made Somewhere. And it's like, nah, like, no, like, I'm not <laughs> into this at all. The Bling Ring I liked, but just barely. And then, yeah, then she came back with The Beguiled, which I really liked. And was totally unlike her previous two movies, um, you know, as far as like subject matter. There you go. Now we've given you our film professor lecture. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what we've really wanted to do the whole time. <laughs> and we're hoping that you watched along while listening. If you didn't, go back and watch them. Yes. All. You don't have to hear us talk about it. But it's just fun to experience it for yourself, uh, the ups and downs of a person's you yeah. know, uh, artistic career. Uh, I've had a good time. Thank you, AJ, for doing this. Thanks. Letting me do this with you. Thanks, Brian, for uh, suggesting that we do this. Yeah. And now we'll have to come back uh, next year to do Glass. So yeah. in, the, in the meantime, what, what filmmaker are you going to study on your own? So do you have any lined up that you'd like to do just on your own? Ooh. I'm going, I'm slowly going through the films of Godard because I always never was into it. <laughs> I've, um... And I got... Uh, a book about him and I'm just going through this book and I'm watching everything slowly very slowly and it's kind of taking it in and that's going to take me years because that guy's made a lot of movies he's still making movies I've wanted to uh, um, I've wanted to see at least his early films because I've seen some I've seen his major early films like Breathless 
the band apart, Masculine Feminine, which is one of my favorites. But I haven't seen, you know, everything. And then I know to cut out by, like, 1966, 1967. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to go the whole way. I'm going to do it. But I think um, I've been working my way through Herzog stuff. That's Uh, a lot of movies. It's a lot of movies. And so I have not been doing chronologically just because it it seems too daunting (laughs) to watch everything. So I'm just watching the stuff that appeals to me. But maybe, you know, maybe I'll go back and fill in the gaps and watch that one Kubrick movie I haven't seen. I'll watch the couple Scorsese movies I haven't seen. You know, I don't think I've seen any Douglas Sirk movies. They're real good. Written on the Wind is great. I haven't, movie. and Guillermo del Toro himself has said like he what he was making a Douglas Sirk movie <laughs> with Shape of Water. Sure. Like, wait, yeah. All right. Yeah, I'll check out. I'll check out this uh, this Douglas Sirk guy. He's good. Yeah, it's and we're lucky that we live in a town that still has a few video stores, so we're able to really go through everything, which is harder. If you're just in the streaming world, like not every movie is available on the yeah. internet, unless you want to just buy them all, you know, from Amazon on DVD or tape, and just you know spend a fortune to watch every movie by so-and-so. We hope you have really enjoyed the ride with us, and thanks for sticking with us through all of our tangents <laughs> and through my sleepy summaries. <laughs> I thought I would get better at it, but I didn't. <laughs> I thought I'd get better at describing scotch, but I know the difference in my brain, but my mouth doesn't allow me to say what it is in a way that sounds smart. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're done. This is another great 90-plus-minute yes. episode. Um, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. You know, our Twitter is still going to be active. I mean, we'll still have the account, and sure. I will still check it once a month. <laughs> like like I currently do. That's at the M Night Shift. Our website is vmnightshift.com. We will still be on um, Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever. Just search for VM Night Shift and we'll be in there. And episodes will be up there. So if you want to revisit or if uh, hope, you know, hopefully people discover this podcast further down the road, yeah, that would be great but uh thanks for listening so much all right goodbye everybody goodbye for now we'll see you again for glass Shyamalan twist.